Hey, everybody, it's your girl, Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama, by way of little old Glassboro, New Jersey, right here on BlackSidRadio.com. What up, what up, what up? Listen here, for real, for real, I ain't got time to sit and chit and chit-chat and smile because y'all know how it is. I got an amazing guest to share with you today. And I just want to jump right into our conversation because it's so rich, okay? I want to introduce you to the amazing Judith Lorick, who is just the most classy, elegant sister I know here in Panama. She has um, taken the city by storm anytime she is performing the shows sell out right away. I love how Black expats have embraced and surrounded and support her. You know, of course, in addition to that, the local Panamanians and people coming through visiting also enjoy her shows um, just because she's dope and she's amazing. So I'm looking forward to introducing you to her. And so without further ado, Y'all know the deal. Just hang tight for a second. I'm going to get it on the line. This is Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama, by way of Little Gold Glass for New Jersey, right here on BlackSidRadio.com. Don't y'all go nowhere. As soon as I come back, I'm going to have Judith Florick with me. Hang tight. Hey everybody, it's your girl, Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama, coming to remind you about our amazing Beat Cultural Relocation Tour. Yes, dates are available for 2024. You don't want to miss this amazing experience. Check out our YouTube channel. See the um, testimonies that people have given about this tour. It is life-changing. For more information, call 540-446-446. 5107 or you can reach me at charlotte at blackexpatsinpanama.net I love you, I love you, I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. And here we are. You know, I am so excited to have you on the show. How are you doing? <laughs> I am great. As usual, I'm always great. But yes, thank you. It's lovely to be with you. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it it, it shows and you glow and, you know, you just said that you're always great. And I had this conversation with a young man just the other day about, you know, when I when you ask him how he's doing, you know, it's like, ah, you know, and I'm like, stop it. Stop it. You're great. You're great. I don't care what is going on in your life. I don't care if you're not having the best day. The fact that you are on this side of the dirt makes it a great day. Go out there, be great, you know, and have it in your mind and your heart. So thank you very much for reminding me of that. So you're welcome. But you know, there are two sides to that because so the, on one side, mm-hmm. I, everything you said is exactly the way I like to live my life. It's the way I okay. choose to live my life. And then there's another side, which is we have these rituals where we say, how you doing? Fine. How you doing? Fine. And nobody cares. Right. So if someone is it feels comfortable enough to say to me, I'm not so great today, that gives me yeah. an opportunity to say, what's up? And listen and help. Yes. So I, I always kind of battle between those two things. Yeah. Um, Depends on who I'm talking to, too. Yes, I feel you. I I definitely feel you on that. And I think that, um, you know, giving people that space to be able to say, I'm it's not my best day, you know, um, and to open the conversation when it needs to happen. But I guess, like you said, it depends on who you're speaking to. And this particular individual always responds in that way. And so that's the other side of that, too. If you are always responding in that way, then nobody knows really when to say, is there something I can help you with? Right, right. And and what I love is now you recognizing you you were playing a very different role with him because he obviously needed somebody to lift him up Mm -hmm. and to show him another way to be. Mm-hmm. And that gave you the opportunity to do that for him. So yeah, it's it's complicated, but it's all it's all good. 
everything's yeah. all good. It's it's all good. Long as we're on this side. And sometimes, you know, I, I, I like it when we can encourage each other, you oh, yeah. know, when we can encourage each other. And, you know, I'd heard so much about you. Um, you know, have you have you seen Judith Lorick? Have you seen Judith Lorick? Everybody kept saying, I said, no, I, I haven't seen her, but I mean, I knew from all of the rave reviews that I had um about you that you you must have been good. And so I would promote your events, you know, throughout my network sometime, um, because wanting to support you as a black expat too. So let's start there. Let's start there. Where are you from? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, Lord. The story's long because I'm kind of <laughs> old. <laughs> I'm give from us, Philly. Give us, give us the, the, the 45 minute show version. <laughs> <laughs> I am originally from Philly, um, but I left there to go to college and never really went back. Um, so I've lived in a lot of places. I, I mean, from there, I went to D.C., um, working for the Inter-American Defense Board. And from there, I went to Boston and I worked as a, like, um, you can imagine this, this innocent college kid coaching drug addicts, battered wives, teenage girls who were pregnant. Uh, and I was working in an inner city organization uh, for a yeah. while. Anyway, I stayed in Boston for 13 years. I went from that to managing, um, being assistant manager at the airport for the Mexican airlines. And from that, I fell into my career as a human resources executive. They sent me to Germany. Then they sent me to California. And then I decided it was time to go because I had a passion and the perks were too good. It was all too seductive. They offered me this gigantic job. And I just said, no, thank you. It was time for me to go. I quit. And that's when I started singing. Wow. So where, where did you go to school? When you first left Philly, where did you go? I went to Swarthmore College. Okay. That's in, Pennsylvania. In... in Pennsylvania. It's, um, it's a it's it's a a really good school. I yeah. had a full ride, you know, because we didn't have a lot. Um, but I had a mom who was, you can do anything in life. <laughs> so yes. uh, I go. got there and there it, uh, that it was... opened up the doors for me. Wow. I don't know why I was thinking Swarthmore was in Baltimore. Mm-mm. Maybe I'm thinking of Wharton or something. But anyway, well, you had so you got a good education. So when okay. you when you were growing up in Philly, and by the way, I grew up in Glassboro, you know. Okay. So mm-hmm. I grew up in Glassboro, New Jersey. Philly was our big city. You know, if you know anything about Jersey, if you're from North Jersey, New York is your big city. If you're from South Jersey, Philly is your big city. So Philly was our big city, you know, Sound of Market Street and all those Mm -hmm. things. And then the gallery opened up. So I grew up in the 70s. So I came up in the 70s and Philly was Philly was the big thing. So when you when you were growing up, what did travel mean to you? Like, did you get to travel as a young person? When did you first leave the country? I did not. Um we our our big deal was going to Wildwood, New Jersey in the ah. summer. Our vacation. <laughs> and really, the first time I I really left was um, I mean, college was not that far away. It's just it's right. close to right. Um, but I remember my 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 older cousin um, called me up after my first year at Swarthmore. It was the summertime, and she called me and said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm just doing." I don't know what I was doing. She said. Pack a bag. I'm taking it to New York. And I was like, oh, New York. You know, mom, and then it was, oh, mommy's never gonna let me go. But she trusted her. She let me go and she took me to New York. She took me to um a concert in Central Park and Ray Charles. And it was my first oh, concert. Wow. And then she took me to Harlem and um and and took me to a jazz club and made them let me get on stage and sing. Really? <laughs> I will never forget that. Oh my gosh. Was that your first time? So, okay. So, all right, then the singing. Okay. You are a great jazz artist. Is that, is that how you identify yourself as a jazz artist, right? So, and I was so happy to see you sing the other day. You are absolutely amazing. And it's one thing to be able to sing. And it's another thing to have an absolute darling stage presence. And you have a stage presence that 
keeps everybody engaged the whole time and you ain't got to be jumping around and acting crazy. But it was like, I was kind of sitting in the back and just watching people. And sometimes you go to shows and there's a lot of chit chatter and everything. And I used to do work on stage and I know how distracting that used to be for me. But I noticed at your show, everybody was like zoned in. Zoned in on you. You do an excellent job. So tell us when that started. When did you realize that you could sing or wanted to sing? I was about three. Wow. And it's really, it's funny. I mean, I laugh at it now. My mom, there was a, there was a little kid, kitty talent show thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and I sang in it and my mom, no, I couldn't have been, I think I was like four. If I think back to when that was, I was probably four. Okay. I sang, I sang, how much is that doggy in the window? Have you ever heard that? Oh, yeah. How much is that doggy in the window? Wow. but the funny one is, I sang Teach Me Tonight. I don't know if you know the uh, lyrics. Uh, uh, come on to Can you imagine this little girl singing Teach Me Tonight? Oh, my God. And because I used to sing with my my mom, sang like an angel. She wow. had the most beautiful. She gave me voice in all, in all ways. She gave me voice. But she had a gorgeous voice. And we used to, morning till night. Jazz vocalists were were in my house, and so I grew up listening to all these songs. By the time I started singing as an, you know, as a young adult, I I had like three hundred and fifty songs in my head, wow. just by growing up with them. So anyway, I sang that. I won the talent show. I got one of those music boxes, you know, ding 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 ding, and it pops wow. open, yeah, and a crown and a child. I thought, oh, <laughs> and um, but I sang in church. I sang in school. Um, but all classical music and opera. And then when I went to college, I was standing in line at the freshman talent show and they said, what do you do? I said, I sing. And this voice behind me said, do you sing jazz? And I said, yes. (laughs) And this was, this guy was an amazing pianist. So we formed a band and we did concerts all during college. And I remember Stan Kenton was putting on this Villanova Jazz Festival and mm-hmm. they, he contacted me. I don't know how he knew who I was, but they t- got me into that festival. And my good friend was really good friends with Ramsey Lewis. I, I remember going to, wow. God, what was, what's the name of that jazz club down in, down in Daddy Philly? Blue? No, well, see, I'm, I'm older than you. Oh, so it might, you. but I think it still yeah. existed. I think it still existed. Um, it'll come to me. Anyway, he was playing there. So she took me to, to see him. I sang with him. Water or something? No, it. Um. Okay. I can't remember. Okay. Anyway, and then Young Holt Unlimited were his trio. They ended up having me while I was in college. They flew me out to Indianapolis or somewhere to sing with them. So I had these little experiences. Yes. That just lit me on fire. You know. Yes. But it wasn't what was it when you, when it when it lit you on fire? Like what was it? Was it just a feeling of contentment or feeling of accomplishment or joy you know what all of the above above. that's when you know it's a catalyst I don't care what my if I'm sad it makes me happy if I'm happy it makes me happier Mm -hmm. um it's it just enhances everything in my life Mm -hmm. and when I'm on stage it's everything. I mean, first, it's communication. Mm-hmm. I think the reason you got the feeling that you got is I can't be up there and not be connected to my audience. Mm-hmm. I have to engage. I have to talk. I have to feel. I need to feel that I am. I feel like my job is taking the song, mm-hmm. the lyrics and the melody of the composers and presenting it to people in a way that makes them feel deeply, whatever it yeah. is, either emotionally cry, laugh, want to get up and dance, whatever it is. To, it's my job is to connect and create that. Yeah, I felt like um, he needs me. Oh, um, and you did such a range of things, but I like I, I love that song. I love my favorite version of it is by Nina Simone. I mean, that song is just, it's, it's just, oh my God. It's so, it's so mellow. It's so soft. It's so heartfelt. 
And it's always nice to see what artists bring to a song. And I really enjoyed the way that you did it. So when I came in that night and you were on the on the sidelines, I know that, you know, as a performer, you're getting into your space. You know what I mean? So I'm like, hi, and keep it moving because I know that you're preparing yourself um, for your audience and you did an amazing job. So, so you never took like classical lessons or um, no? Wow. No, but you know, when you sing in a chorus or in a choir, mm -hmm. even though it's not a, it's not a, um, an official or a classical lesson, mm -hmm. one is always learning. Yes. You know, well, you're I was learning from the choir director. I was learning from the people around me. Um, but I, you know, thank you, God. I just feel like I was given this gift um, that because of my mom, I started using very young. So I learned by doing. A lot of it was just learning mm -hmm. by doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then when I, so after college, when I went to Boston, I actually auditioned for a gig. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a live audition. And there was a, a trio, these old black guys, you know, and remember, we're talking now 1970, probably okay. you know, 1970 when I moved to Boston. And um, and there was an audience. It was in a club. And, the, and oh, it, it was like a show enough live it audition. Live, it, was, it was a live audition. It was like and the audience is here singing. Yes. And the people responded and the guys, you know, they were like, girl, you can sing. You know, it was, they were so much fun. I had, and then I looked up and the guy that was supposed to be hiring me was sitting at the bar talking to somebody the whole time I sang. Oh. Well, I was young and, you know, innocent and arrogant. And I just like, oh no. And I just, I stormed out and I did not sing for 13 years. Really? But I think God was protecting me because I was so innocent and naive you were green I oh man I was greener than green because I, yes. I, I grew up really protected the youngest of three you know never really went uh, I, I was like attached to my mom like this um yes. I didn't even date until I was in college I mean I was like I was so innocent were, oh yeah th that and then especially during those times too you you're probably right because the entertainment industry just yeah. is notorious for you know, drugs, promiscuity, Everything. you know, swindlers, you know, people beating you for your money and being green like that. You, mm -hmm. you probably, you probably, you're probably, you're probably right. Yeah. I think I was being protected. And I, yeah. so, and that, so I grew up in corporate America. Uh-huh. Right. So by the time I, you know, I refused that job as a VP and I decided to sing, I could take care of myself. Exactly. Exactly. That was the other thing, you know, he was doing, he was preparing you to be able to say, this is what I want to do and be in a position right. to do it. So, exactly. so you're the baby and you were the baby in the family. Do mm -hmm. you have children? I have one son. Yeah. One son. Okay. Yes. Um, anything else you want to tell us about growing up in Philly or your family life? It was, I mean, it was, it was happy. Mm -hmm. And as I said, I was really naive. So I wasn't, and I grew up in Philly in the fifties. Yeah. Yes. I think back on that time. Yes. I can feel the, I'll call it the pain. I, I, I can sense, I sensed a heaviness and almost a fear and a pain in the men around my life. My mm. uncles, my father, the friends of the family. And now I know where it's coming from. This was the 50s in Philly. Yes. They, you know, life was not easy for us. Yes. And they all had families and children. I remember every time my brother asked for the car, I, you know, I had an older brother. My, my father let him drive it, but I could feel the tension. And it was real because every time he went out, he was stopped, thrown up against the car, searched, you know, because how could he be in driving the 50s. on the Yeah. Right. So it, and I also think, I okay, I'm a little out there. I believe in ancestral memory. I believe mm -hmm. in cellular memory. Mm -hmm. And I think that we carry the weight of our ancestors. Yeah. 
And um, when I think about, you know, growing up, I, I you know, I happy, I, I was happy. We had a lovely life. We had great neighbors. We did every, you know, we, we had fun. I could, I felt protected. You know, we walked wow. to school and we were safe because everybody's eyes were on us because it was a neighborhood. Yes. Everybody you know. knew everybody. Everybody knew everybody and all the way to school. I could see the faces in the window, those women watching me, you know, so we also behaved because we knew. Exactly. We'd get and it everybody could identify you by your nose. They know there exactly you go. family you was coming from. You was like, oh, yes. what's going with child? So I felt very safe. Yes. Growing, um, which was part of my naivete, you know, but looking back on it, I can, I can see what was happening. And, you know, my parents divorced when I was a young teenager. Um, so it made life a little harder, mm-hmm. but you know, we, we didn't have a lot of money, but we were fine. Mm-hmm. And we always lived in nice neighborhoods because my father was in real estate. So we kept moving from house to house that, you know, okay. up and up. Um, but I, and I think that naivete is really what got me through college years. Cause I was one of very few of us in my school. Wow. And, yeah, we're talking 1965 to 1969. Wow. Those were yeah, we, we, we gotta stop for a second and 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 let let the audience know how old you are. The first audience that that will hear this is not seeing you. So it's gonna be the radio audience, but once they do see you, y'all are not gonna believe. Tell them tell them about your age, Judith. <laughs> let, the, let the cat out the bag. Yeah, I'm 75. I was born in 1947 and I was just funny on Facebook. Somebody posted this thing on Facebook today and they were talking about all the things that those of us who are this age have lived through. You know, it's, it's just unbelievable to think of how the world has changed in good and bad ways. Um, And um, yeah, but I love, I love my age. Wow. I I, I love it on you. I I love, I love (laughs) it on you. I, I do. And um. And and I think just to be so vibrant and to be so so beautiful. I mean, the beautiful part is just a bonus as far as like the way you look is just a bonus. It's clear that the way you feel is also, you know, um, you're you're in a good space. And I really like that you talked about feeling safe as a child. It made me feel a little melon, like not um not sad, but almost a little. I don't know. I, nostalgic? I nostalgic. Um, it also was interesting when you talked about the weight around the men, because I've never put that into a perspective, but I can remember that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mom, we were poor, mm-hmm. I, but I did not know. I did not know that we were poor. I did not know. My mother, listen, we wasn't allowed to wash clothes. I mean, I had to learn all this stuff when I got older because my Mm -hmm. mom was like, I cannot afford for y'all to be messing up my stuff. You know what I mean? I I didn't wash clothes. I didn't cook. And I guess the things that I learned was just from watching her because she Mm -hmm. just did not have enough to spare for training. You know, yeah. we could cook grilled cheese. We would have bologna sandwiches. Um, mm-hmm. We would have um, chicken soup we could do. She would mm-hmm. have hot dogs and those were fine. But don't you go near messing with her food. She would have a menu on the refrigerator. She would, she would shop, you know, it, it, she was so strong. What a wonderful mom. And I felt safe. And I, I always, I always felt safe. I went to a um, acting course one time with Tasha, oh Tasha Smith, mm-hmm. she's from Camden, New Jersey, and she like berated me because she was trying to get us to conjure up emotions for an acting scene, and she was telling us to go back, you know, to being a kid and the, the, the pain. And, you know, that traumatic thing that happened, that was just like, now nah, go to some other places in my life. But, yes, but not your child. But not as, a, not as my child. Not as a child. Mm-mm. Yes, I hear you. I hear you. Not as and a we, child. So we do that, go ahead. We do that as, you know, I think when I started, so I started singing when I was living in California and then we had this big earthquake and I decided I had to get out. So... <laughs> And I thought, okay, 
either I go back to Philly or I follow my dreams. So I decided to follow my dreams. So I moved to the South of France with my six-year-old. I was divorced. Wow. And I think I had $1,000 in my pocket and I had no no job, no nothing. But I just knew, I always know God has taken care of me my whole life. He's not going to stop now. Mm-hmm. So whatever I have to go through, it's going to be okay. Yes. But there were moments, those first few years, there were moments I had no food, no money, no there was a time when I got, I was still pretty naive, even at 40, but you know, and I got ripped off and I had, I lost my apartment. Um, but I've always had girlfriends. Uh-huh. Ladies, let me tell you, I don't care what man is in your life. You never forget your girlfriend. They, they will always be there for you. Yes. They, they may not, but they will. The, our girlfriends are always, they, they, and they come, and go. Just come live with me. And so my son never knew the hardships. Wow. I never wow. let him know because mm-hmm. I had to protect him from that. Yes. Man. So we, we do that. You know, your mom, you're, you're, I, I just love that story about your mom. Oh, yeah. She was a, a strong amazing. woman. Strong woman. And, and you know, I found this ring um, the other day. I mean, I, honestly, like maybe two days ago. And with all the moving around and stuff, I lost it. And I thought I had lost it forever. And it's my mom's ring. And it it just, I, I found that I was just like, oh my God, it's mommy's ring. It's just, you know, just a plain old onyx with a little chip diamond in the middle. But I remember this ring and seeing mommy at the kitchen table paying bills, writing checks. This is, this ring reminds me to handle my business. And one thing that my mom did was handled her, handled her business. Little country girl, didn't graduate from high school, had her first kid at 17 and her last at 23. And there was five of us every year. Mommy, had, mommy had a baby, but all of us had the same dad, you know, they was together just long enough to make five babies. And um, my mom was just an amazing person. Never spoke bad about my dad um, and just taught us to hold our head up. You know, we, we, I didn't know how poor we were until, you know, way down the road, but we had one of the nicest houses in, in our neighborhood. Mommy just kept everything. She was just amazing. And I was talking to you before we started the show and, you know, she died at 45. So when I see women like you, that's in your 70s, living an expat life, looking beautiful, doing what you want to do in life, you know, I I just want to shout it from the rooftops because what a blessing and what um, an amazing example you are for our younger people. So I just I just want to say thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you. And, and, you know, you, you said something important. You see me here doing what I want to do. Well, that's a big part of why I think I am here and and healthy and happy. And, you know, first of all, finding joy. I live to find joy in life for myself mm. and everybody around me. I'm a joy seeker. Amen. And, I like that. And I can't let any, I own my life. So I have to make choices that create the life that I want. And I have lived my life in that way. And sometimes people think I'm crazy, right? They thought I was crazy when I gave up that job offer and decided to sing because, you know, music fills my soul, but it does not fill my purse. (laughs) They thought I was crazy when I took my child and moved to France. I lived in France for 28 years, happy as I could be. I loved it, right? Then, you know, to leave New York and then come here to Panama, it's like, what's wrong with you? Well, I am doing as I choose. I don't, so, okay. You want to know the secrets. One of them is that. Come on. Do do what brings you joy and don't worry about what other people think about you because it's your life is not theirs. Right. Second is I take care of myself. You know, we are always so busy taking care of everybody else in the world. Self-care is so important. Mm -hmm. And I mean, things like drink a lot of water, eat healthily. If you can Mm -hmm. eat organically, uh, exercise, take good physical care of your body. This was a gift we were given by God. Let's take mm-hmm. care of it. Do what we need to do, right? Work, I was going to say, work on your, you know, work on your stuff <laughs> because disease is dis-ease. 
We need to be at peace and, and centered and grounded and happy in our lives. Love ourselves. Don't look to somebody else to make you happy. Yeah. You know, I, I have to make myself happy. Then people want to be around me and be happy with me, right? Mm-hmm. And, the, and I have not taken medication for probably 35 years. Wow. Wow. I my best to do everything naturally. Pharmaceuticals and I don't go together. Um, I I think we are all over-medicated. Yes. You know, in the States, I, I look at my family and my friends, everybody is over-medicated. And that's just treating the symptoms. It's not treating the root. So I tried very and creating hard. creating problems a lot of times. Yeah. So, I mean, if I have to, if I have some kind of, if yeah. I have to, I'll take it. Then I'll cleanse my body afterwards with a cleanse or something. But anyway, just well, yeah, that, that, that's very that's very good advice. And I just I just counted. Um, I love the joy seeker part. Yeah, you are a joy seeker because that's what's up. And and I also will say I'll be sixty in May, and I am not on one medication. Brava. A one. And I am realizing, though, that as I am getting older, that I I cannot take that for granted. I have to do things that promote me staying that way. And everybody has got a day to be born and a day to die. And I just want to have as much joy in between. And that dash, I just want that dash to represent as much joy. There are situations even right now, like I just put a picture out on social media and, and a lady said, you know, but it just looks so dramatic and serious for you. And I said, that photo, I like it so much because it reflects where I am. I'm at a place in my life where times are serious on yeah. a lot of different levels. And I can kick it with you all the time, but, you know, believe me, I got stuff that I mm. that I have to handle and I mm. need to be able to make good decisions and that's where I am. I am in a place of reflection and um and you need to be there and I just need to make sure that I am not surrounding myself with people who bring me stress. And um if it ain't if it ain't peace and love, I ain't got no time for it. Period. Amen. You know, period. So you were an expat a long time ago. So when now when you went when you went to France, to France, right? Yes. When you went to France, did you become a citizen? How did that work? No, I didn't. It actually took me five years to get into the system. Um, France is a wonderful place to live, and they have a they have the most incredible um, medical system, and they take care of their people. Wow. But I couldn't get into the system because I had to get a work permit and a and a, and a resident permit, and it took a while. But I was so lucky. I, I, no, I was blessed because I actually went to the, the the department, you know, the governmental department mm-hmm. that gives you your work permits and all that. And and I talked to the woman who was in charge of it, and I said to her, "I don't have it. I'm working very hard." I told her my story. Mm-hmm. Told I took my son with me. I told her. That woman ended up being an ally. She was helping me find, um, you know, hotels or clubs that would hire me and get my work permit because it costs money. You had to pay for it. And the employer had to pay for it. And finally, after five years, I was in the system. But it was very hard at first. Um, But I spoke the language. That helped a lot. So you had, that's what I was going to ask you. So you already knew um, French when you went there. Yeah, I majored in languages in school. Oh, wow. I already okay. spoke French, Spanish, uh, and Italian, and German. So I was good. I was good in Europe. Yes. But I, and I, and I made it, I made it my business. I mean, it's always nice to have a group of expats around me, mm-hmm. but I made it my business to integrate into the community yes. and to make friends in the community. And that's what created the joy in my life. You know, I had a broad social circle and, you know, for my music, I found musicians, I sang, then I got, you know, I got a gig as a coach, you know, and I'm an executive coach. That's where I make my money, you know? And so life was great. And you stayed there 28 years. I did. Wow. So, so then you came back and you went to New York. Yes. And what year around, around what year was that? 2016. 2016. And then from New York, you decided to come to Panama. Tell us how you decided to be my neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I, I had already decided I had to get out of New York. Uh, it's so horribly expensive. I, I loved my years in New York. Yeah. You know, I was singing, I recorded again, you know, the music, the restaurants, the shopping. I mean, everything in New York is very exciting. Yes. But it eats up your wallet. It's very expensive. <laughs> anyway, so, and I was beginning to really not want to be in my country anymore. I'm, you know, you know me a little bit. I'm very, I'm very direct. Yes. I do not like where our country has been yes. heading. Yes. And I needed to get out. I was too stressed. And I said, I'm a joy seeker. So yes. I was receiving um, International Living's magazine. Mm -hmm. And they kept talking about Panama, Costa Rica, and, and Portugal as like the top three places to retire. Yes. So I decided I was going to come and check it out. I had never, I had never even, yeah, I'd heard of the Panama Canal in Panama, but it right. wasn't my radar, right? So at the time, I mean, I had already, I had a, a, a rental thing property that I built in the Dominican Republic. And, and everybody said, are you going to go to the DR? And I said, no, no, it's not the place for me. You know, wow. I didn't, it didn't move me. You didn't right? connect to it in that way. I didn't connect to it that way. Okay. So I had this plan, get the timing, January, 2020. Um, oh. I, I had this plan. They, International Living did a conference here, January, end of January, 2020. So I got my tickets and everything. So I was coming here for a week, going to the conference. I got a real estate agent before I got here. I had a connection yeah. to show me around, show me places. Then I had a connect a flight to Lisbon and I was going to stay there for a month. Uh -huh. And I was going to check out Portugal. And I really believed I was going to go back to Europe because I feel, you know, I was, I lived in the Mediterranean basin in another life. I just know that. Anyway, yeah. so, and I had some work in Switzerland and in South Africa. So I thought I'll stay there the month. It's easier to get to those places from there. All mm. right. I come to Panama. I, the moving company, they thought I was crazy. I gave up my apartment. I told the moving company, I don't know where I'm going, but once <laughs> I know, I'll tell you. <laughs> so I'll let you know. Two days. That's all it took. And you knew. I knew. I just knew. And then... I found this apartment. It was like, oh, this is home. And I offered um, a contract starting April 1st. Um, 2020. And the, guy, and the guy said he didn't want to wait. So I went, okay, fine. So off I went, went to Lisbon, went and did my job in, in Switzerland. We get to March, mid-March. Mm. Bam. COVID hot, hot. COVID hot. Ooh, let me tell you, they and my work in South Africa was canceled, of course. Everything was canceled. Yes. And then uh, pan, uh, the, the Western Hemisphere blocked flights from Europe, uh, uh, a lot of it. Like, I could go to the States because I, I was a sit-in. I could not get to Panama. They would not allow flights from Europe into Panama. Wow. And I was on, man, I was online. I was like, I was terrified and because um, I had no place to live. So, and I was in an Airbnb, right? So um, a friend said, Fly through the states. You can. The, the states is still accepting flights. So I got this March sixteenth. I got wow. a flight to Miami, connecting early in the morning of the seventeenth to come to Panama. I got there, went to the airport hotel. In the morning, I got up early, went to the airport, and they said, "Sorry, Tokuman closed at midnight." I oh. was sobbing in the airport. I'm telling oh. you. So I was, oh, and and then I got a notice from the real estate agent saying the guy accepted my offer to, after all, to start April 1st. So I said, okay, send me the contract. I signed the contract, the lease and you everything. You signed the contract anyway. I signed it anyway. Um, and because they kept saying, uh, next month it's going to open, next month, you know. But yeah, I was stuck they did that for Miami. about a year. Seven and a half months I was stuck in Miami. Wow. In an Airbnb? Uh-huh. Ate me up. Um, you know, that's another story. That was awful. Okay. But anyway, but Panama, there's something here. There's something about the energy here. Yes. That just drew me in. And it, it ticked all my boxes. Okay. Ocean, warm weather, good food, good people, um, centrally City. located so I can fly anywhere. City has everything I could possibly want. Everything. And Plus. small. And yeah. then you got the beach, you've got everything. But then there was this unexpected boon because I knew nothing about Panama. Mm -hmm. And I walk out into the streets, most of the people look like me. Yeah. And yeah. I was other, I was other most of my life. 
Yes. From the time I left elementary school, my mother sent me to schools in other neighborhoods. So yes. in on Jewish holidays, in my junior high school of like over a thousand people, there was like 15 of us. Wow. In in high school, in college, in France, in my work, in the corporation, everywhere. Always I was other. either alone or or very few that people who looked like me. Yes. So it was a weird, I mean, when I walked out at this this peace, you know, this comfort just fell over me, you know, as wow. I am home. And I'll tell you, you home not- and you know it. And yes. and and you know something. I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I like the smell of Panama when I get off the plane. They recently got these new um, oh, I don't know, the walkways from the yes. plane to the where it's it's enclosed now and it's air conditioned. But I'll tell you, I miss getting off the plane and just smelling that mildew in the air. <laughs> I do. I mean, just you know, to, to take and 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 breathe it in. And I started to recognize that more, you know, as I would go back and forth. Cause for a while there, like before COVID hit, um, that year before, I was going back and forth to Panama every month. Panama, Panama, Virginia, Panama, Virginia. I was building a business here. My husband had already transitioned here. And that's how we were working it. And it was exciting. I was wearing a mask. I, you know, I was traveling so much that I had masks when um, COVID hit because that's just where I was. But increasingly, I would notice the energy, the difference of the vibration of the United States compared to Panama. Now, I am, you know, I, I I am born and raised in the United States of America. I cannot imagine at this time ever giving that up. Um, however, comma, I am grateful that I met a man who would take me outside of the box. And for me being able to see for myself that other countries are viable and maybe even better for us in so many ways, even if you just focus on the way you feel. You know, mm-hmm. like you say, the energy, that makes a difference. People come here, Judith, and get healed. People come here, you know, I work with a lot of expats. They come here from the United States sick on medication and, and, and get get better. Yeah, I can imagine that. Life is simpler somehow. Um, I I love the places I've lived, all of them, you know, for different mm-hmm. reasons. Um, but I feel I feel like, and it's intentional, by the way. I feel like I'm in a bubble. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm in this healthy, joyful, sweet bubble. You know, mm-hmm. I stopped reading the newspapers and looking at the news years ago because I recognized how stressed it made me because yeah. I don't like what's happening in the world. And I have this, this rule with my friends, you know, when in the States, don't tell me. I If there's something really important, tell me what it is, you know, and I, of course I'm on Facebook and all that. So if there's something happening, I, I see the headlines. Yeah. I choose you can what choose I choose what to click on. Right. I do not read it all. I I don't want it in my life. I don't want that energy in my life. There are names I don't even want to see in writing. Mm-hmm. And you know who I'm talking about. So I, you know, I not, will not. Not unless they say, not unless they say he's in jail. Thank you. Okay. Because I, you know, there, I just keep all of that outside of me. And I don't like on, I'm on Facebook because I have to be, I don't really love social yeah. media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff for my work. Um, I don't ever get into any, any, I don't comment. I don't get into all those horrible conversations. People get into all this negativity and stuff. And you know what? I am happy. I am calm. I am peaceful. Um, I don't need all of that in my life anymore. So tell me this. So you're in Panama. And so you've been there, you know, kind of full-time since 2020. Yes. Okay. 
So I was good. on that first flight in October 12th, 2020, the first okay. flight in Panama after the pandemic. <laughs> so, so now were they still on, you know, serious lockdown, you know, yes. where you had certain days you could go out and stuff. Were you already a resident at that time or did you get your residence during that time? I got it during that. It, I got it so fast. I had wow. a lawyer. So I, I had registered with immigration before I left in, in January, 2020. Okay. So when I came back, she took me down to that, to the, you know, whatever that place is. And they took my photo. They did the thing within a couple of days. I had the temporary card within, I think it was six weeks. I had my visa. Wow. So you had put in your, when you say registered, you mean you had applied? Yeah, you. The first step is registering with immigration. Okay, and then, and then you apply for the visa after you register. And and I was doing. I was planning on doing that as soon as I got back. That's why I couldn't get in because I hadn't started the paperwork yet. Oh, Had started the so paperwork. Did you register yourself, or did you have an attorney register you? The attorney took me to took me. She's a friend actually, and she okay. took me. There. She took me there to register. She knows everybody, so it was so easy. We just walked in. Walked up to the counter. They took my picture. I signed a form, and we left. Wow! See, I I don't I don't remember I don't remember that part, or it might have been termed in a different way. And then the other thing about me is that I came in through my husband, so right. my track was a little different. So I love hearing these different stories. So you love it here. Um, you perform on a regular basis. Um, you're fluent in Spanish, so. That, that makes it great. I noticed um, the other night you were asking, you know, what you were trying to discern what mo whether most of the audience was English speaking or Spanish speaking. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that being in Panama, I think that Panamanian um, citizens love it when foreigners speak Spanish. They do. And and that night, I think everybody spoke English. So English, some of the English crowd. The month before, when I asked that question, there were there were two tables who who said they didn't speak English. So I spoke uh -huh. in both languages, and, and they were so they were so happy. It was yeah. really, and I just tried to throw in a couple of boleros, you know, yeah. uh, in Spanish because I want to honor the place that I live in. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I'm, me, I'm, work, I'm working on I'm working on it diligently, and slowly but surely, it's coming. Um, and I'll just be so glad when I can really have a full conversation, but I've gotten a lot better. And um, so I just am not putting the stress on myself. I'm just trying to take it all in and recognize and celebrate when I learn new words. That's beautiful. And, you know, it's the older we get, the harder it is. You know, I'm grateful that I learned, you know, during college years and high school years. And I think you remembered yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. And luckily, <laughs> I use it in my jobs and stuff. Okay. But it's um, in spite of the fact that it's hard, I really encourage everybody to do it because it really it changes the experience mm -hmm. and really allows us to integrate into the community. It does. And, and it takes away the the discomfort. I mean, you know, I was talking with a friend who's my age, who's been here longer than I, and she didn't speak a word of Spanish. Mm -hmm. And and she was telling me how she we were going to meet somewhere, and she had to take an Uber, and she was she was afraid. Yes, she was afraid because she she didn't know where she was going, and she couldn't communicate with the driver. And, and I said, "You have got to learn Spanish." Yes. And you live in a place where you're afraid, you know, and the fear yes. comes from not understanding and not being able to communicate. It's not so, a good feeling. No, it's not. So I'm, you know, brava to you. I really, you know, I encourage everybody. It's hard, but make it fun. That's yeah. the other thing. Make it fun. Don't make it difficult. And, and surround yourself with people who, you know, I love it when I become friends with someone who doesn't speak that good English and we, we teach each other and trying to figure it out. It's, it's, it's challenging and it's fun. And I think it's really good for relationship building. Yes. So we got to get ready to go, but I just want, I want to, I want to know three things. Okay. Number one, you know, you, you've moved around quite a bit. You're like a, you're, you're a pretty seasoned expat. 
um, you know, do you see Panama as your last stop? Um, and the other thing is what advice would you give to people who are considering Panama as a relocation? And the last thing, I'm turning the show all over to you, Judith. The last thing I'd like to know is how do people find you and support your work here in Panama? And if you're doing the, are you still doing the coaching? Oh, I am. I oh, okay. that. Definitely yeah. tell us about that too. All yours. Right. Okay, first question was, do you see yourself yes. staying here in Panama? I I have this thing about saying forever because things change, life you know changes, circumstances change. Yes. Uh, I never thought I'd leave France, you know. Right. Um, at this moment, I would say this is where I intend to be, mm-hmm. but I've, I've also looked at it as um, it will be my base. And as long as I can afford it, mm-hmm. I would want to spend a few months of the year, usually the summer months in France, because I still have a lot of friends there. And, you know, it was a home for a long time. Yes. Um, I originally thought I would want to go back to the States, once to the East Coast, once to the West Coast to see friends and family. I have had no desire to get on that plane and go back to the States. So I'm not sure that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But but so I would see this as my base and going to, going where I choose to go when I choose to go to other right. places. And I, I really don't see that changing. Okay. Um, what advice would I give? Come, come and feel it, mm-hmm. come and experience it, come and see it and stay for long enough to get a sense of what this place is for you. See, I don't encourage people to do, I jump off the cliff. That's my style. Mm -hmm. When I decide something, I go for it 200%. So there was no way I was just going to come here and go back and forth. But a lot of people I know have done that. And that is the way they've eased themselves into this life. So I would say do what works for you, but definitely come and be open. And please do not come here and, and look for what you have right now. You know, the whole reason of moving someplace else is to have a different kind of life. Yes. So don't come here and expect what you have in your home country and then get frustrated because it's not your home country. Then you might as well stay home. Right. That's true. Very direct. So don't don't come, don't come with the colonizing attitude. Oh, no, no, no. And also with the North American entitlement. Right. Just come and take this life for what it offers it is this is such a rich place to be and i'm not talking financially i'm just talking there's so much here and there there's there's so much uniqueness and diversity there's so much here on offer just come and take it for what it is and you know i one of the reasons i tend to not like to be in in expat groups a lot i'm gonna be very honest you know it was like that in the states don't come here and then start bashing the country you chose to be in exactly you know if you come here then this this is my home yes so i'm yes i'm an expat but this is my home this is the home this is the home that you chose Thank you. So if you choose this as your home exactly. and accept it as your home yes, and protect it and defend it as and your defend home. Defend it. Yes. And, you know, we can all complain. It's not perfect. It's, Nothing's yeah, perfect. It's not. It's, you know, and we can complain about, yo, he said he was going to be on time and he was so late. Well, I'm sorry. They got CP time like 500%. <laughs> they oh, got CCCCPPP yeah. time. <laughs> you know, so you ain't CCCP, baby. You might be talking out. You're supposed to be here today and you're here tomorrow. Oh, come on, you know. So, but what I have chosen to do is make my expectations extremely clear. Whenever I deal with anyone about time, I make, and I say, and don't disappoint me. Yes. Or we will not be doing business. Yes. So I also you, believe I'm in. Get, in you, to be clear, I'm going to need you to be here. If yes. you're not here, it's me going to have a problem. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm training people. I, well, okay. So another belief of mine is in any relationship, I have to teach people how to be with me. Mm. I can't just expect them to know mm-hmm. and I can't expect them to give me what I need unless I'm very clear about what I need. Well, so I do it that way too. Whether you, and, and the thing about it is you say that and you recognize that, but the truth is, is that we are constantly teaching 
people how to treat us. And if they're treating us in a way that is not acceptable to us or that is not making us happy, but we are continuing to accept that, we're teaching them that too. We're teaching exactly. them to, to mistreat us. Um, but yes. you know, be, being being clear and not expecting everybody to be a mind reader and tell them this is what I need from you. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? This is what I need for myself. You yes. know, um, this is what's going to help our relationship be great. Absolutely. And, and they that can is tell us too. Yes. And I ask that, yes. you know, I tell you, and then I will ask you because yeah. otherwise we're, 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 we're operating on sand. We're not on solid ground. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Anyway, so that's that. And how you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook, Judith Lorick Jazz. So that way you will always know where I'm singing or what I'm doing in my, my music world. Um, as I said, I'm an executive coach. So, you know, these days since COVID, everything's online, which is interesting for me mm-hmm. because I used to have to fly all over the world coaching these executives. And now I can sit in my living room dressed from the waist up, <laughs> I put on a little makeup and I work on, you know, I coach on leadership programs. Um, I know there are, and I coach individual executives. So I have not, I don't have any clients here in, in Panama. Um, I'll say yet, because I know there are a lot of companies here, but I work through uh, international management institutes or or large organizations in the States and in Europe. Um, wow. So, and then, so you're, you're doing that, you're doing the executive coaching, and I'm sure you do just that to the extent that you want to do it. Exactly. And then you're singing. And so like, how often do you sing? And you said they can go to your, like your, to your social media to see when you're singing. So you're not like a set. I'm here every week at doing no, you sing. No, okay. no. I'm singing at the club in the American trade hotel. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's turned out to be like once a month. Mm-hmm. They're talking about do it, do it, trying to do something more or different because the minute they advertise it sold out and they have yes. to turn people away. So yes. that might increase. I don't know. Um, and then, uh, there's a little restaurant in San Francisco called Salotto Italiano, mm. and it's run by an Italian couple who love the arts. I I will always say yes to them because they love the arts and they have music every night of the week, different kinds of music, wow. all different kinds. They have they have a local artists who put you know their stuff in the in the restaurant, yes. and they're so sweet. So I'm there um, maybe every other month. Um, yeah, maybe. It's not a regular thing. That's why I say check it out on, on social media because I know I'll be in, in Casco at the hotel club. Uh-huh. Um, at the Amer- American Trade Hotel, yes, right? American Trade Hotel. The band that you were with, is that your standing band? Yes. They're Although I, They're wonderful. So the piano yes. bass... And I love how you give them so much love. <laughs> they you know, are, a lot of focus is always on the, the person out front. You know, but I think it's it's really nice how you you constantly love on them. Well, they, they see. I, I do what I do. I love what I do. And yes, I'm the front person. But these guys have worked a lifetime honing their art, and they a lot of times musicians don't want to play with singers. And I have always, from day one, given the musicians who work with me a lot of freedom and a lot of time to play yeah. and to solo because I also love to listen because they're so good. Yeah. <laughs> they're my, I'd be nothing without them. You know, they're my, I call them my easy chair. They, they, they hold me mm-hmm. giving me enough space to be me. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I'm the band leader, but I, I'd be nothing without them. So they're my, That's the trio so cool. is my standard. See, that, that, that just, that just shows like if, if I was, um, you know, thinking about needing executive coaching, you know, just, you know, knowing that you have that stance, it, it just shows that you're experienced about leadership. You know what I mean? It just shows your experience about leadership. Le- leadership is not about telling people what to do and about being the big me and the little you. It's not about that at all, you know, and so many people that want to be leaders need to recognize that. Oh, really. amen. And it's it, really it about- shines through in and it and it's um it's a it's a humility and a softness and just everything about you your presentation 
your music, your style um, is very classy. You know, to me, you are like a, you, it's like a Nancy Wilson. You know, oh. <laughs> you, you have no idea what a compliment that is. My first album was dedicated to Nancy Wilson That's and true. my mother because she was my mother's favorite singer. And I, you know, she is the one who taught me that jazz is elegant. Yes. So when I started singing and the way I've, I've led my career, don't, don't expect me to be in some hole in the wall and with holy t-shirts and jeans and so, you know, jazz from its inception was elegant. You look back in the day, the women yeah. were in evening gowns, the Not men up. or suits, they were, they were slick. And yeah. so that's also my expectation. And in the beginning, sometimes when musicians start working with me, they're like, you know, rolling that because <laughs> you're going to wear a suit every night, you know? Uh -huh. <laughs> you know don't you come in here looking sloppy. <laughs> so. But you know, you know something also, and I, I really got to go. I love, I'm just <laughs> loving this conversation. Um, I only got so much air time. But you know something that that you just reminded me of? I mean, you probably remember back in the day, well, you were out of the stage for a long time, but there were smooth jazz stations everywhere. I think smooth jazz may have been, was it a franchise? I don't know. but Because no matter where you went, there was smooth jazz, 10-something-something, something, and you would get it in Charlotte. And I mean, everywhere you went, you could almost find a smooth jazz station. And then they just started to disappear. And so I, then you didn't see as many live artists. You know, you had to really look. And, and I think that, Honestly, what took it out was new media. You know, the 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 radio station started changing completely. Mm -hmm. The the way mm -hmm. that people listen to music and things like that. But you know something that I feel like has brought it back, the bigger platform of it's so wonderful to know that you have something more than waterfalls because waterfalls was a station on Sirius that you could listen to jazz. But now with all the all of the platforms and you can just t tune right in to jazz, and I think it's given it a, a rebirth and mm -hmm. people are looking. That's why your shows sell out. You know, people are looking for good jazz. Yes. You know, they're looking for that class, you mm -hmm. know, that jazz used to represent, you know, yes. and that's, I mean, I think as a younger person, when we said we were going to see jazz, I felt classy. It was different than going to see Bootsy Collins. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And I remember people saying, well, you know, there's no, I said, look into the audience. Yeah. Young people are coming out more and more to hear yeah. jazz because they're also looking for something different. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not knocking the, music, uh, yeah, other kinds of music, but, you know, the music that really touches my soul is, you know, the lyrics, the melodies, it's melodic, it's beautiful. You know, jazz is many things, but my style of jazz is very classic. You know, you said Nancy, you know, Ella, Sarah, you know, it's that kind of music. And, and that's, that's you do a lot of standards. Yeah. yeah. I do a lot of, it's funny. I do, I do a lot of standards, but many of them are unknown ones. Mm because I feel like it's also my job to teach people what beautiful music out there is. So yes. I will mix things that everybody knows yes. with things that people may not know. There were some things that you, that you sang that I did not know, mm -hmm. uh, that I did not know. And, but it was, a, it was a nice mix. It was a nice mix of new things and things like, you know, he needs me. Um, and a few other ones that you did too, that would definitely, uh, I was aware. I was wishing you would do Nancy Wilson. Guess who I saw today, girl? That's, that's, that's well. I, I am. I'm doing it next time because I, you know, I. The other thing about me is I. I don't want to present the same show every time. Exactly. So I change. I change it up every concert, and so I had been doing Guess Who I Saw Today like every time because everybody loved it, and I. It's like one of my favorite all time favorite songs. Yes. So I'm gonna do it October. You gotta 25th. do it for you. Gotta do it. I gotta come next time, and you're gonna for you yes. to do it. But listen, I gotta go. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate your time, and um, just want to wish you much more continued success and joy in your life. Thank you so much, Charlotte. It was really, I had so much fun. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It was great. Thank you. <laughs> I'll see you soon.
Okay. OMG. We did it again, guys. Oh, my goodness. Do you know I'm about to hit a year with this black? No, not year. I'm sorry. We're about to hit, what's it, three? Yes, we're about to hit two years on blacktipradio.com. November 7th, 2021 was my first um, broadcast. I think we're going to do an anniversary broadcast where, you know, I've talked about some of the things that, um, some of the things that have happened in my life since then. But you know what? Um, I just was so happy to have Judith on the show. It's really wonderful to support other uh, Black expats in Panama who are doing amazing things. I'm so glad that we got to meet. I love her talking about being a joy seeker, baby. Yes, yes, a joy seeker. I can definitely relate to that. So anyway, I'm over time as usual. So I'm about to get up out of here. I want to give a shout out to my main man. Daryl Spears, Elite Conversations Podcast Media, um, for putting my show together like he always does. Um, um, Devin and Riley, thank you so much for creating Black Sub Radio, giving us an opportunity to put our voices out into the world. And um, listen, whole lot going on. By now, our book is released, and so you want to get out there and get that digital copy of our guide to Afro-Panamanian culture. So excited and proud about that. So um, get out there and do that. Look for Judith Lorick um, online, and if you're coming into Panama, uh, make sure if she's playing. If you're already here, of course, see, um, check her out. And to leave you with uh, Marvin Gaye, let's get it on. That was one of her favorites from um, the 70s. She liked Marvin and some other people, but we're going to go with Marvin Gaye. Let's get it on. Yes, honey. And um, besides that, she's Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama, by way of Little Old Glassboro, New Jersey, here on BlacksinRadio.com. I love you. I love you. I love you. And there's just nothing you can do about it. I'll see y'all next time. Peace and love, my brothers and sisters.